So hi everyone, I'm here with James Fell today, uh, who's the CEO of Credit Canary. Um, and Credit Canary is sort of in the in the customer engagement space, uh, particularly around some of the really understanding what credit worthiness is and affordability and affordability is, really trying to engage customers as much as they possibly can. Uh, so so James, thanks very much for joining me today. I, re I really sort of appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. Um, so, so I suppose, it, you know, given the space you're in, in terms of like, I suppose, augmenting, um, you know, uh, additional data, looking at people's credit worthiness, I mean, what are some of the trends that you're kind of seeing in the market, particularly as we sort of start into the into this new year as well? Yeah, so with regards to kind of credit decisioning and, and kind of the role of data within the lending lifecycle, very much what I, I've seen is that there, there is very much a, a dominance of the use of it within kind of loan origination and decision making. And mm. um, elements of it used within collections and recovery, but very little is done to kind of provide early warning of financial distress to those borrowers that are facing financial hardship. And coming into the start of last year, we saw the cost of living crisis driven by rising interest rates, the war in Ukraine, um, rising inflation, and very much saw it as an opportunity to help those borrowers uh, before the point of um, you know, missing payments um, to mm. keep them on track. Um, so very much like the key trends that we're starting to see in the market are like, firstly, whilst lenders aren't starting to see um, default rates start to increase rapidly in response to cost of living crisis, very much driven by a lot of borrowers having saved during the pandemic period mm. and creating a bit of a synthetic outcome. Very much there is a, a typical concern about kind of when these changes are start are going to start rolling through um, into mm. kind of how the behaviour of borrowers takes place. The second one that we're starting to see is there's much more of an openness to want to engage customers and use recurring data there's very much been a, a tendency historically to not want to have that access to recurring data very much with a you know, concern about what they may or may not find or secondly that they, they're not sure about like you know what to do with those customers that are in hardship but actually, in response to kind of these macro trends that we're seeing, there's there's much more of a, a propensity for those lenders to want to have that recurring data feed as a way to provide uh, better kind of customer experiences mm -hmm. and really align to new consumer duty. I mean, do you think there's more um, accept, more innovation, I suppose, out there and I suppose readiness to accept innovation? I mean, back in the old days, we used to very much be reliant on, I suppose, credit bureau information, those kind of things. I know there's a whole new suite of information that's sort of out there uh, and you sort of augment it with different with different pieces. Do you think there's do you think there's much more readiness and acceptance to be able to do that? I mean, is that has that changed over the last five years? Is that still changing now, do you think? I think kind of as a result of these macro changes, that there's very much been a tendency mm. to, to, to change and like want to kind of make the make kind of uh, make look to address and that's been driven by those macro trends and the regulatory trends um mm. if you were to kind of look, look to start the business that we're creating say three or four years ago it might not have had the kind of impetus and and the real market mm. need whereas like now there's a very much kind of a demand to want to be able to kind of serve those customers um and ensure that kind of we're engaging them before the point of, of default because it becomes like very costly at that point and the options are quite limited so, yeah, very much there has been a, a tendency within the market to want to kind of move to uh, make the most of these new data feeds that are available. Um, but whereas kind of um, in trying to do that, what, they've, uh, what we've seen is a reliance on credit data. 
And the mm -hmm. challenge with credit data is that whilst it gives a very much a detailed insight into a, a, a borrower's financial health, because of the, the nature of it, that it, it typically is not real time and kind of mm -hmm. updates to bureau files can take between 30 to 75 days to filter through having a very reactive kind of way of dealing with that has not been possible. And that's why Credit Canary is looking to address that by merging aspects of the transactional data with credit data to put those lenders in a real-time position to be able to drive change. Yeah. So this is all this idea around almost like recency of data. Um, it's just like, how do you like, how do you sort of get ahead of it in terms of like, almost like the, the, the time frame is getting shorter, isn't it? In terms of like changes are happening quicker and we need to get updates on a, on a quicker basis as a result of that. Yeah, very much. It's, uh, it's trying to catch those people uh, at this moment that they'll have, which is mm -hmm. like, I'm going to miss my next payment. And very much, you know, borrowers have that feeling you know in the past I, i've been in that position myself and um yeah it's trying to catch those people and use the data you know to for good to kind of identify those scenarios catching yeah. them ahead of time with proactive solutions to avoid them missing that payment which then leads to a knock-on effect which affects their future propensity to lend or borrow yeah. I mean, so like this, this almost like pre-collections, as, as as we'd say in the collection in the collections world, almost like this this pre-arrears type conversation. Almost like how do we look for these like small indicators that might be indicative of something happening in the future? I mean, how far out do you think we can kind of look? Um, you know, and how how indicative they they, they are, how indicative are some of these measures? Um, and I suppose because it's becoming increasingly important, especially with cost of living, as you say. I mean, like people aren't yet necessarily in arrears, but they might be in the future. So, yeah, so for Credit Canary right now, like what, what we're focused on is, is accuracy. So right mm. now we're focusing on the next 30 days, forecasting mm. forward and trying to achieve a high level of accuracy on that front. And the way in which we're going about forecasting on that is, is aligning to three pillars. So one is what is the borrower's ability to pay? So, you know, mm. do they have the disposable income available? Um, and looking into kind of categories within the transactions to look at what's happened previously, but actually add a level of realism going forward. So for example, energy mm. bills, what you've been paying in the last 12 months will not be indicative of what you're going to pay going forward. So adding elements into that, starting to look into the second pillar, which is financial behavior. So what are the trends that we're spotting mm. uh, within there? And then third is around those financial, uh, the, the willingness to engage. So because we're looking to serve the treatments, we're seeing which of the borrowers are engaging versus which aren't. Um, we've mm. got a kind of a good stare about what that looks like. Where I see that kind of ultimately like spanning out is through understanding uh, with more data, we look into the focus is to then extend that 30 day accuracy point to say 90 days and then pull it mm. out, say 100, 120 and then make it kind of very much like forward-looking so that we've got a real kind of indication as to what uh, future affordability looks like for a borrower and then use that as a proxy to understand the likelihood that they will go on to miss payments. And then where relevant, you know, engaging them proactively to avoid them going into the default. And, and what about the, the customer aspect of it? And I know you sort of provide this to the companies, but there's a customer aspect to it. One in terms of like, you know, I suppose there's been re resistance around, you know, 
looking at some of this information because customer feels like it's a bit like an invasion of privacy I and mean, is that sort of is that moderating a little bit and then the second question is then well, what do you then say to people because they're not necessarily in arrears yet but you think that they might be particularly if you look at your six month scenario it's kind of like it's, it's it's really quite a long way out and it's almost like this this future look and sort of people feel that it's almost like i mean people still feel like well that's a bit of an invasion of my privacy you're making really big assumptions there and that's that's not me if you're saying that even though it might be predictive yeah so i think it all starts with the about value exchange that exists with mm. uh, between the borrower and the lender and it's making sure that that value exchange is right and that really is mm. like where we're spending a lot of time working so what can we be providing to the borrower um mm. which is valuable and that can like give them the necessary motivation to have them willing to share their information uh, mm. and vice versa so i think that the most important bit with this all comes to this value the idea of the value exchange which is a central ethos of the business and where all of our testing right now is going into and very much then it kind of comes on to then what do you say so knowing that we've got this kind of idea of the value exchange is, is first and foremost really important then what do you say is then how does that value exchange transpose to treatments and what Credit Canary has done is we've defined 14 initial core treatments that can range from making an early repayment to a forbearance kind of measure um, to kind of give the, the, you know, that borrower the, the various option depending on the nature of their financial circumstance. We haven't, uh, you know, we are early in our kind of development journey um, to be open on that. But having that kind of underlying appreciation for the value exchange is really key to change mm. the dynamic of making it about this is an invasion of my privacy to becoming much more about this lender is looking out for me and is wanting mm. to kind of help me during this type kind of time of need and therefore when it comes later down the line when they're starting to think about relending or their financial position has become a lot more preferable they're much likely to have strong advocacy with with that lender. So it's all about the value exchange and that's where we're spending all of our time to get right and changing it from, I need this loan immediately and I'm willing to share my data at that point of time to do that, to actually providing more enriched, uh, fulfilling digital experiences that borrowers are willing to share their data within the life of the loan. Yeah, there's, there's quite a big trust trust angle to that in terms of like it's like how do you trust the brand you're dealing with you know providing information and they're trusting you giving the information back and that's almost like an underlying theme to a certain extent it's like how do you trust each other to provide look out for them and i know it links to things like customer uh, consumer duty as well which is which is coming mm. which is coming through is very much very much in line with that as well um but do you think like that that trust maybe we've sort of gone through a period of maybe uh, us not trusting each other as in consumers and businesses and this is a way of us almost like starting to do that when you talk about value exchange yeah i'd see you know i think uh, it's in considering trust and where trust is going i think it all starts mm. with like communication and changing the nature of the relationship that's existed mm. historically between lender and borrower um mm. and very much like where we're starting is like is is using different forms of communication between those to maybe soften the nature mm. of how that relationship exists and making sure that there's more transparency between both sides. Um, ultimately, like it's in the best interest of both sides if both sides stay ahead of you know their mm. you know their scheduled payment plans. Um, and very much that's the core ethos of what we're doing. So yes, trust is key, um, but 
you know the nature of kind of how lending has existed historically not just within the last 10 years but the last 5000 years for example as long as far as debt goes back there has been this imbalance and very much we see it as an opportunity to to address that and that's one of the key kind of underpinning pillars that supports the vision of the business yeah. outside of the credit bureau information what do you think some of the the key things to to really look at or the the innovative kind of data sources that you think well like you know we spent a bit of time looking at this and we think this is fairly predictive and it and it could, and it could be kind of useful but it's really at high level yeah sure so like what uh, credit canary does is it combines the product information so the loan and the the non-identifiable mm. information about that the open banking data or transactional data depending on whether it's a a bank or not and then the credit file and effectively what we're doing is we're reconciling the three so where the credit file picks up information about the borrower's financial health and um, which isn't kind of on the um uh the the transaction file and vice versa it creates a full picture and then what we're doing off the back of that is we're taking that as the baseline to forward forecast a borrower's net disposable income so looking to identify what we believe is going to be in a borrower's bank account or their net worth at the end of every individual day. And then when that drops below a specific threshold, we then use that as the basis to then serve these treatments. Um, but very much the, the net disposable income is, is the key to it um, as mm. the core layer. And that very much is the atomic metric of the business. And then on mm. top of that, it's about kind of adding additional trends and behavioral traits that could indicate a potential for a uh, change in behavior or financial circumstance yeah. I mean, essentially as we sit here at the start of 23 when you look at cost of living started to come through as you said it's it's not necessarily seeing that in terms of arrears levels yet but cost is definitely there whenever you go shopping right so energy costs have been going up we've also got interest rate costs are coming up there's there's talk of even more more i suppose inflation coming through in the, the back end of the year i mean what, what, what's your sort of outlook for for 23 i mean what are you kind of seeing i mean how much how much pain do you think we've got kind of ahead of us do you think i it, i think it's it's funny at the moment it's a strange time and it doesn't matter mm. who you speak to everybody has been affected for, for cost of living mm. crisis you know the that like whether it's interest rates or the cost of food or the cost of goods like everything is being affected and it just has a direct effect on on things i think that with regards to like where we are now at it, what the next 12 months like it's it's very much an unknown uh, but what i do foresee is that like the challenges around cost of living will remain um mm. what i hope is that you know a lot of the challenges that we see in the market around rising interest rates as a good example with kind of 68 percent of households in the uk having mortgages for example um whether it's kind of like a mortgage tax or or, or those that are on flexible rates you know it's 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 quite a strange time um and the kind of standard kind of economic levers that government and will be pulling aren't necessarily like feeding through so um it's quite an unknown it's a bit of a finger in the air but like what i can what i do believe is like these challenges around disposable income are only going to get worse within the next one to two years um and where i see fintech as the kind of key driver is uh, being able to provide that innovation to allow for households to navigate it in the best possible way.
it does it does feel like sort of getting ahead of it and doing the the pre collections, the pre arrears piece is kind of getting those indicators in now seems like a good way and he's at least trying to like build relationships with customers now rather than waiting for something to go wrong you know, maybe in three months time or four months time or five months time i mean because because then it's very difficult isn't it yeah very much but if you can take parallels to like different in like say for example like health like you know mm. people want to know about kind of like the nature of their health if you look at um the types of products that are starting to come out into the market by the likes of randox where people are taking uh, doing blood tests and they, you know they're wanting to be a lot more proactive with regards to the nature of their health there's one good example um and there are others you know that exist in market as well but very much like we kind of see there's an opportunity to use this data as the black box for your car to make sure that you know you are being rewarded ultimately um and that the financial products that you have when life do, do does change and um, has an element of flexibility to it to to ensure that you know you have that space to get back on track without your kind of wider financial existence mm. being uh, threatened i mean the transactional detail is kind of interesting in terms of i mean because it, it's a mine of information i know we've been talking about it for a while uh, and it's sort of it's taken it's taken a while to sort of get almost like a critical mass but there's almost like there's the there's the the basic kind of information but there's also things like the order in which transactions come in the different kind of uh, i mean there's all this like an extra wealth of information that's out there other than just sort of almost like adding it up i mean do you think we're going to get to that in terms of like looking for these these micro indicators these small indicators or like this is indicative and you must start to see some of that in in, in your kind of work yeah so i've worked within open banking since 2019 so like very much like mm. familiar with a lot of the nuances that exist across the board in how that data comes in uh, and there's definitely still a way to go within categorization and how that works um mm and how it's kind of standardized across the board. But I think that the kind of inconsistencies right now do create a lot of opportunity still, that there's a lot of opportunity mm. to, to be doing more. Um, and it's a shame that the, the categorization as a, as a good example, like exists the way it does, because if fintechs and technology companies didn't have to deal with the burden of standardizing the categorization um, and spending ex extensive resource in doing that, they could actually go to then use that data for much more beneficial outcomes. But we are just scratching the surface with this open banking data. And I think there's a, a mindset shift with the with consumers and we're, we're starting to see, a, we see steady adoption, but it's not prolific within the market. And that will go to change as that value exchange becomes a lot more apparent where customers are right clear about what they're getting in return for sharing that information. Um, and then innovation with regards to like how it's used and more innov innovative use cases for it. So yeah, data-wise, it, it is a challenge, but um, what we're doing is we're sitting on top of it to ensure that we can use that information to start to fore forecast forward. And actually, mm -hmm. as that data becomes more sophisticated, the accuracy of our prediction becomes, in turn, much better. I mean, I suppose even just in terms of like the wealth of the data, there's wealth of data there, but then you still need the almost like the human to then look over and come up with the different scenarios to say, well, look, let's let's test this and see if it's predictive. I mean, so you've got to come up with all these different scenarios, but it's almost like endless in terms of what you could actually look at. And I suppose it's just going to take time while we churn through it and really understand, you know, what works, what does not work, what's predictive, what's not, those kind of things. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, you have like other scenarios which make it even more challenging, whereby if you're dealing with like different subsets of uh, a, po a population that 
are kind of indicative traits that exist within prime similar to what exists mm -hmm. in subprime clearly not um mm. but very much like trying to be kind of a first mover in the space to get ahead of of that and really kind of spend the time to get under the skin of these nuances that exist it sets us up quite strong to to really kind of push forward because we've got a clear point of difference as we very much on pulse of exactly what's going on not just as a whole but within these like nuanced sectors or subsets that sit within the population uh, what about what about integration i mean we see a lot of sort of you know there's a lot of sort of fintech startups that are taking place and they sort of like specialize in one particular area and they do that really really well and it, you can almost like see it starting to get we're getting into this world of like we have lots of different multiple products that are getting embedded into a much wider process for for a creditor as an example or for, mm -hmm. for a business i mean where is where do you sort of see that trend kind of going on i mean obviously it's like how easy is it to integrate you know how is it to to basically now talk with um all the other all the other products out there i mean is there is there that really getting to a point of a sea change where we're going to see you know a much wider suite of companies out there sort of being embedded it kind of feels like it yeah i think there's there's very much like been a movement like within the financial services sector which has been driven by these cloud native banking platforms that look to operate by becoming more of the orchestration layer and then building in and around it best in class solutions that serve that what credit canary is doing right now is looking to kind of offer a base api which is serves mm. for those initial kind of clients that we we are looking to engage with but actually our long-term growth we believe will come through innovative distribution partners such as mm. banking as a service so if you look at the likes of like thought machine has a product library mambu has a marketplace you're starting to see like new types of company come out to make that integration a lot more easier such as sequoia so very much like that, I think the key change that we will see is as the adoption, especially within larger enterprises of these like more cloud native solutions coming into play and then becoming a lot more widespread, the accessibility mm -hmm. of those more innovative solutions like Credit Canary will become far easier because you're effectively yeah. taking it through your core provider and effectively the due diligence and, and all of the, the relevant kind of checks have been done up front. And it means that as a whole, the banks can then get use that as a basis to get a lot closer to their customers um, and become a lot innovative from you know, off mm. the outset. And we're already seeing that that trend pushing forward yeah. and it's set to be a lot more prolific within the next two years. Yeah, I mean, you, you see that, uh, for example, in the in the gaming space, where you sort of like you have marketplaces, or 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 even in terms of like Microsoft Store or Apple Store, where you can almost like you go in, you can sort of press a button, and then it basically installs, and all that integration is basically done. I mean, it, so you think that that's that could potentially come into, for example, into the collections, into the collections world with collection systems, or it might be with banking as a service kind of systems, where it becomes like a marketplace, and sort of you know you just be able to install it, and then then it becomes an ongoing feed to a certain extent. Yeah, very. I, I do see that become a, a lot more, the, the interconnectivity between kind of various solutions mm -hmm. that are used within the collection space will start to like come through a lot more. I think what we're, we're starting to see within the lending space and the lending management side, a lot of innovative solutions starting to come through with kind of new challenges looking to kind of uh, challenge on the lending management side. There's a, a firm called mm -hmm. Noble coming out of the US, which are, know making it a lot more innovative and accessible lenders are wanting to you know adopt kind of cloud native solutions because they're easier to manage mm -hmm. and, and maintain 
and for the most part can be cheaper than legacy systems so that will naturally like trickle down and what you what i believe we're, we're already seeing is that these um core banking providers or lending management whatever we want to call it, by kind of having more of a kind of networked way of operating it allows them to effectively mm. serve those clients right the way across the the lending life cycle right the way from originations to default or collections and recovery and even debt sale um in a much more simplified and easier way uh, to to deliver mm. to the end to the end client one of the big changes we talked about cost of living and I suppose in interest rates increasing but one of the big changes that also has is in terms of like funding and you know return on funding return on investment those kind of things do you think that's going to have an impact in terms of certainly if you're looking at like the fintech world um, you know where you've got private investors basically looking for a certain return because you know they're looking for higher returns than they've seen elsewhere I mean do you think that's going to have an impact in terms of this sector in terms of like investment funds being available or maybe in terms of like demands on the fintech sector in terms of what they're expecting in terms of in terms of getting a return yeah well uh, so you could break that in, out into two, two different kind of like scenarios so firstly you, you can look at it from like an equity side and from an equity mm. side you know that there, there has been a very much a change within the appetite you know the, the the amount of due diligence is like widely noted within the founder community of where a lot of like institutional funds have done say a couple of years ago to what they're currently doing now it's a lot more mm. diligent you know they're, they're looking to ensure that you know things are are, are kind of you, you, there's there's a conservativeness that that, that exists within that space before, yeah. um which you know from from our perspective with a company which is grounded in integrity we see as a, as positive because we want to kind of really thrive in that that space and then from a debt perspective if you're kind of acquiring wholesale debt it ultimately is going to get more expensive which is either going to kind of reduce margins or kind of be passed on to the end customer so it you know from those perspectives um you know definitely there is there are changes coming through um it's just an inevitable uh, of kind of these macro shifts yeah. that are happening but where we're kind of concerned about it as a business is actually looking at it from the customer perspective and actually how yeah. the the nature of these impacts are, are impacting families um yeah. and it doesn't matter you know whether it, you, you know like what kind of section of society you know you're from that everybody is feeling the pressure on this um mm. and it's why we're starting to see terms such as the squeeze middle like come through because large kind of aspects of society which previously had been um you know very uh, prosperous and um, are now starting to feel the pressure and you know we're also seeing a lot of kind of like families coming out of like three four five fixed term deals on mortgages and struggling to get fixed term mortgages or, you know, mm. just with kind of like the nature of kind of, you know, or preference of banks, fixed term mm. deals are very, very hard to get. So, you know, we're seeing this shift towards kind of um, more variable rates. But yeah, that, that's kind of like where we're thinking of it at the moment. Yeah. I mean, do you think we've got enough support in place um, today or do you think there have to be new support mechanisms that need to be out there from a customer point of view? Uh, I'm thinking, just for example, your example there was around someone's on a fixed term mortgage. They then need to roll it over, but they can't afford then the rollover, which causes, you know, which causes, which causes problems in itself. I mean, is there enough support out there? Um, and is there enough support out there, I suppose, in terms of like 
other sectors and looking about the charitable sector as well where people are starting to newly get into debt they're newly starting to find may, maybe other other kind of issues as well i mean do you think do you think we're robust enough do you think we've got enough capacity within those sectors to be able to to be able to handle what might might be coming down the road at us um i i think there's that you can always do more um <laughs> like where, wherever it is there's always an opportunity mm. to kind of like make change and disrupt um, across the board, it's, it's a very like vast question. I think kind of there's a couple of things that I've definitely seen that we could uh, do a lot, a lot more effectively. So like obviously we're trying to help those customers in life, but I think kind of one of the big things that can be done right now is to actually um, help customers at the point of credit dec- decline. So you know in the UK there are a high number of people that are declined for credit every year. What in doing so, they receive very little information about what are the next logical steps about what they can do and like what help is available mm-hmm. to them. So I think that there's a real kind of opportunity to use these kind of compelling events to help people at their point of need mm-hmm. um, and to make sure that, you know, people are in sustainable solutions going forward. So it's a lot better to yeah. keep, well, it's, in my opinion, it's a lot better to keep people within a sustainable uh, pattern than put them in undue pressure and undue stress which is ultimately then going to lead to like further downcline yeah i mean it certainly sounds like getting ahead of the curve you know having honest conversations being transparent to what the honest and integrity in terms of the business model i mean they all seem like great themes for for this year and trying to head off problems before they actually become bigger as well so i mean it's um it's it's fascinating topic it sounds like we're going to have I'll probably hear a lot more about it uh, for the for the rest of the year. So, so James, um, thanks, thanks, thanks very much. I appreciate the insights. No, thanks, thanks so much for having me. And um, yeah, very much like um, it's a great opportunity. It's a great time for Credit Canary to take what is an unfortunate position for both you know yeah. families like across the UK and the country as a whole. You know, to help those families navigate this time and and to make sure that they feel that they've got kind of. Uh, solutions in place to help them yeah, push on and, and kind of get back to more of a prosperous place yeah yeah absolutely so well thanks very much and uh, we'll, we'll chat again soon cool thanks very much